Howdy, howdy. My name is Lily from Maycraft Game, and you're listening to Reading Rule Books. Today, we're going to get a little spooky and read the rulebook for Mysterium. So let's get into it. Aim of the game. Mysterium is a cooperative mystery solving game in which everyone wins or loses together. All players share the same goal of uncovering the truth behind the death of the ghost that haunts the manor, thereby putting their soul to rest. Player Roles Mysterium is an asymmetric card game in which players take on one of two different roles but share a common purpose. Players play differently according to their role. The ghost distributes cards to guide the psychics, helping them to make the right choices that will allow the investigation to make progress. The psychics receive cards from the ghost and use their intuition to try to correctly interpret their message. Before beginning the game, the players decide which role to play, the ghost or a psychic. Example, Laura, Stephanie, Paul, Carl, and Alex are beginning a five-player game. Laura decides to play the role of the ghost. The remaining four players play as psychics. Stephanie chooses Alphonse de Belcour, blue. Paul picks Arashir, white. Carl selects Madame Wang, red. And Alex opts for Alma Salvador, yellow. What to expect during the seance? The game is set in the 1920s. In your role as psychics, you have been invited to a nighttime seance on Samhain, Halloween, when the visible and invisible worlds meet. This is the day of the year where the living are most easily able to contact the other side. You will have only seven hours before the spiritual connection with the ghost is lost. Upon making contact, you quickly realize that the ghost is unable to communicate their killer's identity directly. Clearly still in severe shock, the ghost has only vague memories of their death. With their help, your task is to reconstruct the events of the fateful evening. Who was present at the scene? Where might the crime have taken place? What objects may have been used as weapons? To save precious time, each psychic will follow a different line of inquiry with the aim of identifying and reconstructing the activities of one of the suspects. Exhausted by their years wandering the astral plane, the ghost has become too weak to speak. Instead, they will communicate with the psychics individually, sending them visions in the form of flashes, which the psychics will then share and interpret to the best of their ability with their partners. Guided by their intuition, they will then indicate their preferred hypothesis to the ghost, beginning by identifying the suspects. In return, the ghost will inform each psychic whether or not their intuition was accurate, enabling the most perceptive among them to move forward with their investigation. When the suspect has been unmasked, the psychic's next task is to determine where the crime took place and what object may have served as the murder weapon. If all the psychics successfully complete their task within the allotted seven hours, the ghosts will be able to recall the culprit's identity. Summoning their remaining strength, they will send the whole group one final vision identifying the culprit. The more clear-sighted the psychics have been during the seance, 
the more unequivocal this final vision will be. Finally, the psychics hold a straw poll to formally identify the culprit, winning the game if the majority pick the right suspect. This frees the ghost's soul to rest in eternal peace. If you fail, the ghost's spirit will continue to roam the netherworld, and you will have to wait another year before reattempting to solve the mystery of the manor. Now you know how the seance will unfold, you are ready to play. Tips for a strong spirit bond. For your first game, we recommend playing at the easy difficulty level, which we'll talk about in a later section, with a player already familiar with the game in the role of the ghost. The ghost may choose to play the game without uttering a single word. For example, they might confirm the psychic's intuition by knocking on the table, one knock for yes, two knocks for no. An atmospheric soundtrack is available to download by scanning the code on page 5 of the rulebook. Game Components and Setup Set up the game as shown in the diagram on page 6. Game Components for the Psychics Six Intuition Tokens, one of each color. Six Sleeves, one of each color. Six Clairvoyancy Level Markers, one of each color. 36 clairvoyancy tokens, six of each color. The front will have check marks or X's. The backs are numbered one through six. Setup. Each psychic receives one intuition token, one sleeve, one clairvoyancy level marker. Place the marker so that it indicates the zero space on the clairvoyancy track. Clairvoyancy tokens, depending on the number of players. 2 to 3 players, 0 tokens. 4 to 5 players, 4 numbered 1 to 4. 6 to 7 players, 6 numbered 1 to 6. At the head of the table, place the clock board. Set the hour hand to 1, 1 hour at the start of the game. There are 4 progress boards. One character progress board, which will be placed at the base of the table followed by the character cards, one location progress board, which is placed after the character cards, and we'll have the location cards played after it, one objective progress board, which is placed after the locations, the weapons will be placed after the objective progress board, and at the head of the table will be one epilogue progress board. At the top of the epilogue progress board is the clairvoyancy track, and one sand timer for two minutes should be placed nearby. Game components for the ghost. 54 ghost cards. 18 character ghost cards. Rear number is 1 to 18. 18 location ghost cards. Rear numbered from 19 to 36. 18 object ghost cards. Rear numbered from 37 to 54. One game screen. Each column corresponds to a different psychic. Each row corresponds to a type of ghost card. The top row is the character ghost card space. The middle row is the location ghost card space. And the bottom row is the object ghost card space. Six ghost tokens. Front one of each color. 
rear numbered one through six. Arrange the ghost tokens behind the screen. Place them color side up at the bottom of the appropriate column. 84 vision cards. Place the vision cards pile behind the game screen. At the start of the game, the ghost draws a hand of seven cards from the top of the pile. Six culprit tokens, rear numbered from one to six. Three crow markers. Game difficulty and card setup. Choose the difficulty level for the game. This determines the number of character, location, object cards that will be used. One, shuffle all the character psychic cards and draw face down the number shown on the table found on page eight of the rulebook. The number of players is listed two through seven. Easy will have four, five, five, six, six, seven, with one crow being allowed per turn. Medium is five, six, six, seven, eight, eight, with three crows being allowed to be used per game. Hard is six, seven, seven, eight, nine, nine, with one crow being allowed to be used per game. Example, in our five player game, one ghost and four psychics, at medium difficulty level, the players will draw seven character psychic cards. Two, Look through the character ghost cards and select those whose number match the drawn character psychic cards. Pass the character ghost cards to the ghost. Set up the character psychic cards in the play area. Example, Carl has drawn cards bearing the numbers 1, 3, 4, 5, 6, 10, and 17. After sorting his cards, he passes the character ghost cards number 1, 3, 4, 5, 6, 10, and 17 to the ghost. 3. The ghost shuffles the received cards and draws as many cards as there are psychics in the game. The ghost then places these cards in the character spaces on the inside of the game screen, in the columns representing the colors of the various psychics. Put the remaining cards back in the box without looking at them. Example, Laura, as the ghost, receives seven cards and shuffles them. She draws the first card, number 10, and places it in the game screen in Alex's column. She then repeats the operation for the other psychics. Repeat steps one, two, and three for the location cards and then the object cards. During this setup, the ghost generates a combination of three cards, i.e. a character, a location, and an object for each psychic. Gameplay. The game is played in two phases. Phase one, reconstruction of events. This phase lasts a maximum of seven game turns, represented as hours on the clock. One, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. Phase two. Revealing the culprit. This phase takes place if all psychics successfully complete the reconstruction of events phase before the end of the seventh game turn. Phase one, reconstruction of events. During this phase, the psychics attempt to identify which characters are crime suspects, 
determine where the foul deed might have been committed, and establish what object might have served as the murder weapon. To visually represent the progress achieved by the psychics during their investigations, each psychic will move their intuition token along the four progress boards. Each investigation is conducted in a particular order. The psychic must first identify their character, suspect, before attempting to discover their location and finally their object. The reconstruction of events phase takes place in two steps. Step 1, vision interpretation. Step 2, spectral manifestation. Step 1, vision interpretation. During the turn, each psychic's intuition token is placed on the character progress board. This means that the ghost's task is to help the psychics to guess the character card assigned to them behind the game screen. They do this by projecting a vision to each psychic, consisting of one or more vision cards. To project a vision, the ghost, one, chooses a psychic and places one or more vision cards face up in front of him or her. Two, pushes the ghost token matching the psychic's color against the game screen. This reminds the ghost that they have already given a vision card to that psychic and cannot give him or her any more cards during the current turn. 3. Draw vision cards to make up their hand to 7 cards. If the vision card draw pile is empty, the ghost shuffles the vision card's discard pile to form a new draw pile. Pick another psychic and repeat the same procedure until all psychics have received at least one vision card. Upon receiving a vision, each psychic attempts to interpret it and discover the character, location, or object to which it refers, depending which progress board their intuition token is currently on. To this end, psychics may freely examine their vision cards and psychic cards and discuss hypotheses with the other psychics. When the ghost has projected visions to all the psychics, they start the sand timer. Each psychic must place their intuition token on the psychic card to which they believe the ghost is guiding them before the sand timer runs out. The other psychics may help with decision making by analyzing cards and giving their opinion. Psychics may change the position of their intuition tokens at any time until the sand timer expires. Note, several psychics may play their intuition token on the same psychic card. However, as each psychic has to find a unique combination consisting of a character, a location, and an object, the intuition of at least one of these psychics must be wrong. Important. Although the ghost may listen to discussions between psychics, they should never make comments or gestures that could serve as clues, as this would disrupt the gameplay experience. Sample visions. Laura, as the ghost, wants to help Alex to guess the governess card. The character's card features a ball of red wool. Laura, as the ghost, browses the cards in her hand and picks card A, in which a ball and a strand of red wool are visible. 
but also card B, which shows other cords and ropes, and card C, which shows a woman with a hat, to enhance this vision. Laura must also steer Stephanie's choice towards the cook character. Card A shows some plates. Laura might have also chosen this card for Stephanie's vision. To enhance this vision, she might also have added card D on which some cakes appear. Discarding vision cards, crow. At the start of the game, the ghost collects the number of crow markers corresponding to the chosen difficulty level. At any point in the game, including during the revealing the culprit phase, the ghost may discard any or all of their vision cards and draw new cards to make up their hand to seven cards, subject to the limits on the number of such discard operations determined by the difficulty level. At the easy difficulty level, the ghost may discard their cards once per turn, in which case they place a crow on the game screen, removing it at the end of the turn. At the medium difficulty level, the ghost may discard their cards up to three times during the game, each time placing a crow on the game screen. At the hard difficulty level, the ghost may discard their cards once during the game, placing a crow on the game screen. Using Clairvoyance Tokens Players may add clairvoyancy tokens to the intuition token played by the other psychics at any time until the sand timer expires. When played successfully, these tokens enable psychics to progress on the clairvoyancy track, potentially unlocking extra clues when attempting to identify the culprit in the final phase of the game. There are two types of clairvoyancy tokens. Tokens bearing a checkmark symbol, indicating that the player agrees with the psychic's intuition, and those bearing an X symbol, indicating the opposite. A psychic may not play more than one clairvoyancy token per intuition token, or add a clairvoyancy token to their own intuition token. A psychic may play as many clairvoyancy tokens as they want during a turn, but is not obliged to use any at all. As multiple intuition tokens may be placed on the same psychic card, each clairvoyancy token should clearly point to the token with which it is associated. Players may move or remove clairvoyancy tokens at any time until the sand timer expires. Important! After use, all clairvoyancy tokens, check and X, must be discarded to the designated space on the clock board. They will be retrieved at the start of the fourth game turn. When the sand timer runs out, the vision interpretation step ends and the ghost manifests itself. Step two, spectral manifestation. During this step, the ghost manifests itself to let the psychics know whether or not they have correctly interpreted their visions. The ghost may reveal this information in any order they please. They inform each psychic that their intuition was correct if the psychic's token was placed on the right card or incorrect if the token was not placed on the correct card. After manifesting to a psychic, the ghost moves the ghost token of the corresponding color away from the game screen. If the psychic picked the correct psychic card, the ghost flips the corresponding ghost card 
in the game screen. Any psychic who played a checkmark clairvoyancy token moves their markers forward one space on the clairvoyancy track. The psychic collects the correct psychic card and slides it into their sleeve. The psychic discards all vision cards. The psychic collects their intuition token and places it on the next progress board. Example, Stephanie has successfully identified her character. During the next turn, Laura, as the ghost, will help her to guess a location. Stephanie therefore places her intuition token on the location progress board. If the psychic has not picked the correct psychic card, any psychics who played an X clairvoyancy token move their marker forward one space on the clairvoyancy track. The psychic returns their intuition token to the same progress board from which it was taken. The psychic retains their vision cards in front of them. In each subsequent turn, the ghost will provide one or more additional cards to enhance the vision until either the correct psychic card is picked or the game ends. Example showing the use of clairvoyancy tokens. The ghost indicates that Carl's intuition was correct. Stephanie and Alex had both added a checkmark clairvoyancy token to Carl's intuition token. As a result, they moved their clairvoyancy level marker forward one space on the clairvoyancy track. Paul, who had played an X token, does not move his marker. If a psychic has just obtained their three psychic cards, when a psychic has successfully identified their combination of psychic cards, they place their intuition token on the mission accomplished space on the epilogue progress track. On the clairvoyancy track, they move their marker forward one space for each hour remaining on the clock. Thereafter, they continue to take part by helping the other psychics to interpret their visions and may still play any remaining clairvoyancy tokens. Example, Paul discovers his combination during the fourth hour and therefore moves his markers forward three spaces on the clairvoyancy track. At the end of this step, move the hour hand forward one hour on the clock. If one or more psychics have not yet identified their character, location, and object, a new reconstruction of events phase begins. If the clock was already showing the seventh hour, the game ends and all players lose. If all the psychics have successfully identified their character, location, and object combinations, move on to the final phase of the game, revealing the culprit. Note, at the end of this step, the psychic's intuition tokens may be located on different progress boards. Phase 2, Revealing the Culprit this phase only takes place if all psychics have successfully identified their character, location, and object combinations before the clock strikes eight. The culprit's identity is revealed in three steps. Step one, suspect lineup. Step two, shared vision. Step three, straw poll. Step one, suspect lineup. During this step, the psychics arrange their combination of cards into groups in order to compare the suspects and enable the ghost to identify the culprit. Collect any psychic cards that were not placed in sleeves and put them back in the game box together with the character, 
location, and object progress boards. Place one ghost token per psychic in the center of the table, number side up. Example, in our five-player game with four psychics, four groups of cards are required, and the psychics therefore lay out the ghost tokens numbered one to four. Replace the unused ghost tokens in the box. The psychics remove their combination of three cards from their sleeves and associate them with the numbered tokens. Several groups of cards are thus formed at the center of the table, each containing one suspect. The ghost collects the six culprit tokens and keeps them behind their game screen. The psychics collect all of their clairvoyancy tokens. Step 2. Shared Vision During this step, the ghost attempts to guide the psychics towards the group of cards in the middle of the table that contains the culprit. To this end, the ghost picks three vision cards from their hand. These cards form a shared vision and must all point to the same group. One of these three cards must point to the character in the target group, another to the location, and the final card to the object. The ghost then shuffles the shared vision cards and places them face down in the middle of the table. This group is designated as the culprit's group. The ghost secretly collects the culprit tokens with the number matching that group and places it face down in the culprit space of the epilogue board. Step 3. Straw Poll During the straw poll, the psychics hold a majority vote to designate the group containing the suspected culprit. The ghost must not indicate which cards in the shared vision relates to which element in the combination. The true culprit is revealed at the end of this step. Voting by the Psychics The psychics vote in secret and must not communicate with each other during the voting procedure. Psychics vote at different times depending on their clairvoyancy level. As determined by the position of their clairvoyancy level marker on the clairvoyancy track. Psychics with a low clairvoyancy level will see only one card from the shared vision before voting to identify the culprit's group. Psychics with an intermediate clairvoyancy level will see two cards. Psychics with a high clairvoyancy level will see three cards. A low clairvoyancy level is 0 to 4, an intermediate clairvoyancy level is 5 to 6, and a high clairvoyancy level is anything over 7. Put differently, the further a psychic has progressed along the clairvoyancy track, the more clues they will see when the psychics have to identify the group that contains the true culprit. Psychics vote using the numbered side of their clairvoyancy tokens. Each psychic takes the tokens bearing the number of the group that they think contains the culprit and slides it into their sleeve. Example. The first vision card is revealed. Stephanie, who has reached space 4 on the clairvoyancy track, votes now. The second shared vision card is revealed. Alex and Carl, who reach spaces 4 and 5 on the clairvoyancy track, vote now. The final shared vision card is revealed. Paul, who reached space 11 on the clairvoyancy track, votes now. When all psychics have voted, the votes are revealed. 
revealing the votes and the true culprit. Pass all the sleeves to the psychic with the highest score on the clairvoyancy track, or in an event of a tie to the eldest of the tied players. This player reveals each clairvoyancy token in turn, placing it on the card group matching the number on the ghost token. When all tokens have been placed, proceed as follows. If one of the groups has received more votes than the others, it is chosen as a suspected culprit's group. If no single group has a clear majority, the tie is broken in favor of the group chosen by the player who progressed the furthest along the clairvoyancy track. That group is considered to represent the psychic's verdict on the culprit. If a tie persists, it is broken in favor of the group in which the eldest player voted. Now reveal the culprit token placed on the culprit space. End of the game. If the group chosen by the psychic contains the true culprit, all players win the game together and the ghost's spirit is laid to rest. Otherwise, the game is lost and the players must wait until Samhain comes around again before reattempting to solve the mystery of the manor. Two and three player game. You can play Mysterium with two or three players by adjusting a few of the rules. Special setup. One, the clairvoyancy track, the related markers, and the clairvoyancy tokens are not used. Two, each player plays with two psychics. Three, during the shared vision, the three vision cards are placed face up. Special rule for phase two, revealing the culprit. Step one, suspect lineup. At two players, randomly create two additional groups of cards with a character, a location, and an object in each group. Using psychic cards discarded during the game, bringing the total number of groups to four. Then place the tokens numbered one to four by the four groups thus formed. Three players, place the tokens numbered one to four by the four groups of cards. Step three, straw poll. Two players, the player who plays the two psychics uses only one of their intuition tokens to designate the suspected culprit's group. Three players, Psychics vote openly rather than in secret. The two players with the role of psychics must agree which group to identify as the suspected culprit's group and place their two intuition tokens on it. And that is the rulebook for Mysterium. And because I have not played this game as much, I decided to bring in a friend to talk about it. So welcome to the podcast, Joey. hey I know I don't do this very often, so it's gonna be a it's gonna be fun. So, from my understanding, you've played Mysterium quite a bit. I have, yeah. It's uh, one of my favorite kind of casual board games. So, my first question will be: Do you prefer to be the ghost or a psychic? Oh, I definitely prefer to be the ghost. It's I think a lot of fun to give out the the clues to everyone and just kind of watch them puzzle over it and like try not to react as. They're like, oh, I think it might be related to, like, this little thing. And you're like, no. <laughs> but, yeah, I prefer or I prefer ghosts, but I do like both sides. 
What are some of like your favorite like challenges with the game? I like the fact that it's kind of a puzzle game without really being like a puzzle game. So it's always interesting to like as you're playing with a new ghost or someone just seeing how they like what they notice on cards whether they like go okay we're looking at objects on cards or if they're looking at color schemes or if they're looking at vibes so it's kind of like a people puzzle as much as it is like a game too because you got to figure out Mm -hmm. like what people will look at and react to so you can either give out you know, the proper cards, if you're the ghost or if you're a player, figure out how your ghost kind of relates to things. Have you ever, like, well, one, I guess one thing I was kind of curious about was, have you ever gotten someone who just, like, could not guess the right thing? Yeah, I mean, that's happened a couple times. Uh, When I'm playing ghosts, sometimes you just, like, don't match (laughs) with a way a person thinks. And you end up, like, giving them cards and, like, everyone has moved up to the next round and they're still guessing person or whatever and they have like six cards in front of them luckily the game's kind of designed in a way that it starts to get narrowed down and even you know eventually they're they only have like one choice left so at least they'll move forward even though you might not complete the whole seance that game uh eventually it starts to work itself out even when you're not like clicking with a person if you're playing this with like the same group of people, does the game feel different? Or if someone's like the ghost, you always kind of know what cards match what person. There's or definitely object. Yeah, there's definitely a situation situations where if you play enough with the same people, you start to have like specific tells, we'll call them, where like someone will use this card for this location just by, you know happenstance of it's happened a couple times already uh but i feel like there's enough cards in the game in the the visions deck that it's got a ton of like replayability value because you sometimes like you definitely don't make it through the whole deck most games and so you make it through maybe half if you shuffle them well you'll have different cards each time they come up in different rounds so even when you're playing with the same people, it, it's, it definitely feels varied enough and different that it, it doesn't get like too repetitive. Okay. I know that there's the discarding cards mechanic with the crows. Does that come in a lot when you play? Uh, depends on the game. I definitely encourage, encourage it when we have new players, especially if they're playing the ghost. Sometimes when playing with, you know, more experienced players, we will limit the number of crows. It does say that in the rules that, you know, you yeah, can use the hard less difficulty crows level. Hard... Yep, exactly. So I usually like to save if I'm only having one crow or if we're, you know, if we're using three, I usually like to save one for the end, the last round, just because that's like the hardest one to put together with the visions you have. But I, you know, it's it's fun to do crows mainly because when I play and when I'm explaining it, we have a house rule that if you use a crow, you must caca. It is very important. You go caca, and then everyone knows you're discarding. That is that is beautiful, and I think it should be part of every every game of oh, yeah. Mysterium. I highly encourage everyone to use that rule. Have you ever found so? There's a three uh, kind of rounds or 
checkpoints that people have to get past the person the place and the object Mm -hmm. are any of these rounds more difficult than others yeah so i do find that they get more difficult as the rounds progress so probably easiest is people then place then the hardest is the the object the weapon just because the design of the cards themselves so the the people the suspects have not only the suspects like portrait but then a bunch of like little items scattered about that like indicates their job or their personality or you know whatever they do so there's a lot of details on the the suspect cards that you can connect to in certain ways then the places start to get a little more uh general there's not as many like fine details in it to latch onto, but there's still enough that it's it's pretty easy to relate certain vision cards to certain places Mm -hmm. the hardest round by far is the weapons because small cards all it has is like a colored background and the weapon okay yeah that does sound difficult yeah the the last round easily the hardest um because a lot of times you're just like how do I relate like a candlestick? Like I don't have any visions with candles or lights. Like uh, this one has the same color background. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> one other thing that I kind of wanted to talk about was when you're guessing the the suspect location or object, you can also get like back other people's guesses or like disagree with other people's guesses. How does that work out in games? Like, is it, more is it used often is it oh it's about to be the reset i need to use all of them there's definitely the here comes the reset i'm gonna use all of them and i don't think these are right but we gotta use them because we get them back anyways but generally they are people generally forget (laughs) to use them (laughs) if they're new players okay and i i like to try to point out and like hey you know use these we gotta try to get those points up to to get more cards for the final round Mm -hmm. so i I try to remind people but then when you start to get more experienced people will remember to use them and what's funny about them is at least among the people i played with everyone's very agreeable and so almost every time you run out of your check marks before your x's And then, like, at the reset or, like, the final round where you just have to use them, you're like, sorry, I gotta give you an X. It's all I have left. Like, I don't think you're wrong. right before the reset, everyone is wrong. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Yeah, because... That's funny. It always feels like when someone's making a guess, it always feels more... You feel more confident putting, like, oh, I think they're correct rather than I think they're wrong. Especially when it's a group that's, like, communicating with each other a lot and helping each other, like look at each other's visions and go oh it might be this Mm-hmm. so you're already getting that input before they do that guess anyway so exactly of course you're going to agree with them you you steered them in that direction right. a little bit <laughs> <laughs> i would be very curious to see the group that steers them in that direction and says i think you're wrong <laughs> i mean after steering them that way i have done that before just to mess with people <laughs> Because sometimes you're like, well, I don't know, look at this stuff, there's food on it, could be the chef, and then they put it on there and you go, no, I was just messing. (laughs) Like, it's probably the driver. Oh, that's funny. And then, um, all this is done in, according to the rule book, all this is done in a two-minute time period. Do you think that two minutes is tight, or just enough time? 
I, I think it's a pretty good timer to to get your guesses out. You know, view the cards, get your guesses out, and get the the extra guesses in. Um, okay. Yeah, mainly because the first round's a little tight because it's the first time you're seeing any cards. But after mm-hmm. that, it, like the cards generally, the vision cards, if you missed, remain face up. So you still have time to think about it between rounds. So I feel like the timer is mainly a way just to help people make a decision because you know a lot of people with analysis paralysis. Like, if, <laughs> if you give them free time, it'll take them 20 minutes before they decide. And it's like, eh, we kind of got to move the game along. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's not many rounds. So, like, it feels like a 30 to 45 minute game when you're playing just because... You've got timers inside of it, and then it's already restricted in the number of rounds on top of that. Yeah, I, I do like that aspect of it. It's like a nice bite-sized game that you can bring out mm-hmm. for, you know, parties and get-togethers and whatnot, because it's not too complicated to explain, and it doesn't take too long. So, you know, people will be freed up after if they want, or you can play multiple rounds if people really like it. Yeah, multiple change change up to the who's the ghost yeah a lot of people after playing for the first time because i i recommend that you play with an experienced ghost for your first time but then after mm-hmm. that a lot of people want to try being the ghost because it is like a totally different experience so i think that leaves one last thing to really talk about which is the shared vision mm-hmm. you have three cards one to represent each card one to represent the person one to represent the place and one to represent the object how often do people get this wrong? I would say over 50% of the time. <laughs> it's, okay. So that shared vision, that final round, I think is a really nice cap to the game because it's like uh, a slightly different structure than the other rounds and it does feel like kind of a, a, a climax to the game. And it, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's silent so you can't collaborate anymore. So it does feel kind of exciting. I say over 50% because it is a, at the end, it's a consensus on which vision or which clues are picked from the shared vision, right? So a lot of times you'll have like, say you have six players, it'll be like, you know, two picked one and then everyone else picked a different one. Or three picked one, two picked another, and the last person picked a totally different one. So... Uh, Someone's probably always right, but it's just the consensus isn't always always there. Yeah, I've lost some because we didn't get consensus. I've never had a game where nobody got the the correct final, the final combination. But I mean, if you have if everyone got it wrong, that's just a bad ghost. Yeah, but it could also be like (laughs) because you are working from just the seven cards again at the at the Mm -hmm. end, the seven vision cards. So Mm -hmm. sometimes you get super unlucky in that last round and you just like can't find a combination that points to one or instead of pointing to like two, because that's a lot of the time is people will go, oh, I was between these two. And then they just happen to land on the wrong one. Gotcha. Does it feel weird going from a like the earlier round you're like collaborating on every you can collaborate on everything. Does it go feel weird to go from collaboration to no collaboration and rely only on yourself? I feel like it can feel a little weird, but like I said, it does feel like a nice kind of end cap to the game itself. 
Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it does make like the final picking of the, the, the combination of the suspect place and weapon, uh, exciting rather than just at the end, you know, it being revealed to be one of them. It's a nice way to, to have everyone pick different combinations and then converge into one. So I think it, it feels like a, a positive, satisfying end, end to the game. Very cool. Is there anything else you'd want to highlight about the game? I mean, the art on the vision cards. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I do love just going through them sometimes. Some of them are just like... They are gorgeous. Yeah, so aesthetically pleasing, and some of them They're are very so strange. weird. Yeah, they, they can be very strange. Yeah. They're... What's your favorite card? Do you have one? Oh, um... I do like... There's one where it's a, a lady and a lion on a ship. That's kind of going over a grassland. I like that one a lot. And there's also one that's um, a raven perched on like a, a sign in like a wintry kind of scape. Those are two that come to mind. I think there was one where it was like a world contained in like a tear kind of vibe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember that one's the one that I kind of like pops into my head when I when I first think about the game. So yeah, very, very gorgeous art. Very gorgeous. All right. Uh, thank you for joining me. Yeah, happy to help. I'm sad I got to talk about Mysterium. It really is one of my favorite party games. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you hear, follow MCG on any platform you find me and check out MakeCraftGame.com for more content. If there is a rulebook you want to hear, leave a comment on this Reading Rulebooks episode. I hope you have a wonderful day. 